Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome to the World in Sport. I'm Vinnie Wiley. This week, Fiji move a step closer to qualifying for the Women's Rugby World Cup. The Oceania Sevens hit Suva and Vanuatu's top female surfer turned businesswoman. But first, history will be made this weekend when the FIFA Under-20 Women's World Cup kicks off in Papua New Guinea. It's the first time a Pacific Island country's hosted a FIFA World Cup tournament and the first time PNG have competed in one at any level. I spoke with the PNG coach Lisa Cole about making history and how the team was feeling a few days out from their first match. I think there's a lot of nervousness still with the players because this is the biggest event they've ever played in and um, they want to do well. But um, it's turned positive. I think if you'd asked me early in the week, there was a little, I would call them more scared than nervous. Now they're just, there's this good nervousness, excitement about um, getting out on the field and playing. How much of that is the fact that they're playing at home in front of their own supporters? How much of it is the fact that, you know, PNG's never competed at a World Cup at a level like this before? Yeah, I think it's both. I mean, I was talking to um, Patrick from OFC, and we're talking about, hey, they don't really feel like they're in competition mode. And I looked at them and I said, they've never been in a competition before. They don't know what it looks like. They don't know what it feels like. So we're literally teaching them um, what that looks like you know, what the rhythm of trainings are, how hard they should go on one day versus the next day, all those things that you need in order to be ready to play a game and two days later play another game and then three days later give your uh, best again in the third game. So they're learning a lot and um, we're dealing with some things that maybe other teams don't have to deal with because they already have experience here. But that's part of this World Cup for Papua New Guinea. It's about getting the experience and about learning the process and um, just continuing to learn through the whole event. Yeah, and the benefits, of course, being the host nation is that you are in the tournament and you've had that chance to compete, which, of course, is something that, that hasn't been the case before. Yeah, I mean, if, if we're not the host nation, then we're watching uh, the games on TV like everybody else. I think FIFA has granted us this tournament to give a t- country like Papua New Guinea with a ton of potential and women's football the opportunity to see what this looks like and see what happens when you invest in a team and young players and what the future could be if we continue with our investment and continue to bring these girls along. You've taken the team to America for a tour. You hosted a tri-series in Papua New Guinea. You've recently got back from a tour of New Zealand where you tried to sort of mirror that World Cup format of a game every few days. So uh, is your team as prepared as they could be? Yeah, I mean, I'm the coach, so of course I would always like more games and I'd like a little bit more time. Um, You know, a year isn't really enough uh, time, and we probably had nine months of good training to get this team together. A lot of teams will start the new cycle right after the World Cup, so they'll have a two-year cycle that they're preparing uh, to play in a World Cup. But um, we're as prepared as uh, we can be based on 
uh, when we started and where we are currently as players and as a country in um, football. So the girls will give their best, they're fit, and um, we're ready to make sure that the country is proud of the effort we put out. Um, we're not sure about the results, but that will play from beginning to the end. And of course, uh, quite the beginning, you've got Brazil first up on Sunday and then a couple of other pretty tricky ones as well. Yeah, we didn't get any easy draws in the in the World Cup. I mean, uh, obviously all the teams that uh, get to this level are very good. Um, but to face a country like Brazil, where soccer is life at some points for players and people, they've produced some of the best players in the world, if not the best players in um, the world at the moment, especially in the women's game with Marta. And then Sweden, who won Euro, the Euros, which is the best team from Europe. Um, and you can think of all the great teams from there. And if they came out on top, a tremendously strong team. And then North Korea, who um, just won the U-17 World Cup and does a fantastic job with their youth development. So a really prepared team and a team that will be difficult as well. But for me, the great thing about that is is we literally are playing the world's best. You know, we played Japan and we played USA early on so that we could see what that looked like. You know, you can go and schedule wins. You can go and look for other things. But um, for us, we're going to play the world's best. I wanted to mimic that. And hopefully we'll get on the field and find ways to compete, at least in moments, in those games. And what does success look like for Team PNG at this tournament? Yeah, I've talked to them about learning. We've talked about there's going to be moments where we make mistakes and then how do we recover from those mistakes. There's going to be moments that we have good play and how do we how, do we finish our chances, do we take those well. So for us, it's learning from moment to moment, getting, in, getting better half to half, getting better, and that by the end of the game, our soccer is better than it was at the beginning and that we've played through the whole match. We've competed regardless of what the score looks like, that our effort has been there. That's the PNG Under-20 women's football coach, Lisa Cole. The Fiji women's rugby team are now just one big performance away from qualifying for the 2017 World Cup. Playing their first test match in 10 years, the Fijiana 15s defeated Papua New Guinea 37-10 in Suva at the weekend, taking out the inaugural Oceania Women's Championship. That result earned Seremaya Mbaya's team a place at next month's final Asia-Oceania zone qualifier against Japan and Hong Kong, from which the top two teams will advance to the World Cup in Ireland. They played well. They, they stick to what we talked about, you know, just try and uh, stick to the basics and, and uh, try and, and um, run them and, and, uh, and stick to what we talked about. And uh, it was very pleasing at the end that we managed to get the result. Quite an interesting matchup, wasn't it? Because Fiji hadn't played a test match for a decade, the Fijiana 15s, and Papua New Guinea had never played a 15-a-side women's test match. Yes, it's, it's very interesting. But uh, still, they, uh, as I mentioned, uh, I think last week, that uh, even though that we didn't play any any national level in terms of women's 15s, but still we have our local uh, 15s uh, club games. No, it's very pleasing that we managed to put a uh, you know, first women's 15 aside and then to come up with that, that result, it's a good feeling. We've seen the success of the Fijiana Sevens, um, and even though, as you say, there's a local competition, it must mean a lot to the players and, and to the rugby community um, you know, for the women to have a World Cup to aspire to, whereas previously they haven't. 
Yes, it's, uh, you know, it mean, means a lot to, to the girls because um, not all of them can manage to play, you know, the Fijiana women's 7-a-side team. So to be given this opportunity for, for, for most of them, it means a lot to them, you know, in terms of um, you know, developing the women's rugby here in Fiji and especially in the 15-a-side game. You didn't have the services of the Fijiana Sevens because they're preparing for the Oceania Sevens, which are this weekend in Suva. Uh, so next month you go to the final World Cup qualifier for Asia Oceania. Uh, will you have more players available for that? We haven't come to an agreement with the uh, you know the Sevens officials. It's a matter of if they available and they're willing to to join up in, in the 15s camp then uh, we would like to um, to use them. But at the moment, we still haven't come to an agreement. But at the moment, I'm just regrouping the, um, you know, some of our extended squad that weren't available last time because they, there's injuries and, and, um, and there's difficulty for them to, to make it to camp. So, you know, it will be good to have them. But at the same time, it's, it's, a, it's a matter of um, communicating with the uh, officials whether they, they can... Uh, they can be released and join the, the 15th squad. So you've got the final World Cup qualifier next month against Japan, against Hong Kong, uh, two places to go to the World Cup for the first time. Um, you know, what, what preparation do you get between now and then? Because you're going away with the Flying Fijians, so are you going to get much time together with the girls in preparation for that match? We've talked about our goals. Uh, our short-term goals was uh, against PNG to qualify from the Oceania, and now we're approaching our, our, our middle-term goal, which is you know to to play in Hong, in Hong Kong and, and try and qualify for the for the Rugby World Cup next next year. So, in terms of our preparation, is um, I've got I've got a team of coaches which, which I trust and. We get along really well. I've, I've got a program with them, and then they can um, stay with the girls while I'm away. And then uh, we'll we'll catch up probably two weeks before the tournament uh, kicks off in in Hong Kong. Because effectively, with two teams out of three qualifying, you just need to win one game, and you're at the World Cup. Yeah, but it, for us is uh, we, we'll try and win both. At the moment, we're just worrying about how can we prepare well from now on. It's a huge step from. PNG game, and we know that it's a matter of stepping up our preparation for this Asian qualifying round. That's Fiji women's rugby coach Sarah Meyer and bye. The Oceania Sevens rolls into Suva this week with new players, new coaches, and new beginnings. The Fiji men's and Australia women's teams will compete for the first time since winning Olympic gold in Rio. There's also the opportunity for the smaller nations to qualify for events on the upcoming World Series. Manager of the Cook Islands men's side, Simon Iopu-Johnston, says they've been busy preparing. With us, it's all about the second-tier nations day, so we've got to come first in our lower tier to be able to uh, qualify for the big tournaments, uh, Wellington and Sydney and Hong Kong and all that. The top three, which is uh, Fiji, Samoa and uh, Australia, probably relevant to uh, what we're after in terms of our big goal. So yeah, as long as we finish first above Tonga, PNG and the rest of them, then uh, yeah, we're in good stead to to qualify better. So is it that one slot available for those World Series tournaments? Yeah, there's two slots available. So if you come second, then you only go to Hong Kong. But you know, we're we're here for a reason. We're prepared well, so we're entitled to, and we feel, you know, we feel 
ready that we can uh, definitely challenge for that top spot. From your point of view, from the Cook Islands point of view, um, as one of those second-tier teams, to have that uh, carrot of going to the World Series and, and hopefully getting two or three tournaments must be a, a big one. It is. It, it absolutely is. So we've done a lot to change our program this year. So we've looked at our personnel in terms of who's off the field and who's administrating our team, also the players and all. And we've, we've changed quite a bit about it. We've moved our uh, physical fitness to another level. Uh, we've connected spiritually to our Heavenly Father, which is big in our culture, of course. And, of course, we've also done our cultural piece. So, you know, that carrot is all part of our huge program and our big goal of actually getting back onto the world circuit again. So these are all your incremental steps that we're putting in place to to be able to reward ourselves as Cathanders and, and our boys too for the hard work. So absolutely. And so the way the draw is set out, um, you know, Samoa is obviously the big uh, opponent that you guys have to come across in your pool. The other games you probably would back yourself or expect to to be winning. And if you can do that and make the semi-finals, you're basically guaranteed Hong Kong, depending on who comes out of the other pool. In fact, making the semis could indeed be enough to, to get you to all those legs. Around Samoa and Australia, you know, everybody's saying, like everybody that's on the outside of the program says, oh, you know, it's, it's the other thing in the room, we've got to beat those two teams up. What we've done is we've actually um, really recognised that we've got the talent. We've put a, a, a decent team together. We've created a pretty strong program. We're really confident in this program this year. Um, and a lot of it's been around that word change. And what we've done is we've actually created a real strong physical program, mental program and spiritual program, tied the whole lot together, selected players from the Cook Islands also with uh, uh, you know, a few other players from outside of uh, the Cook Islands. So that means that we've been able to train more together, play more together, and uh, we've been doing it for the past three months. So when you're talking about the big teams that are in this competition that we'll come up against, to us, it's all about the process. So we understand that, yeah, hey, you know, they've got big names and all that, but when you actually look at us, um, pound for pound, we're pretty much the same types of teams. So we've got our uh, headspace right too now. So we're really, really looking forward to this challenge. We can't wait to take that field when we do take on those guys. So absolutely can't wait. Okay, so so you've got some local players and some overseas ones, but but more locals than in the past. Absolutely. So that's been our biggest problem before, right? So uh, we've always chosen players from all over, all over, say Australia and New Zealand. So in the end, we end up choosing a team or putting a team together in the uh, hotel lobby, which is just doesn't work for us, and. and you have about three or four days to prepare, whereas this time we're actually being prepared for, for the past three months. That's the beauty of actually having all the players together on the one island to, to, to train and play together with the players that we do select from, or we did select from overseas. That's Simon Iopu-Johnston from the Cook Islands men's seven side. Vanuatu's top female surfer is launching a board-shaping business that she hopes will encourage more locals to take to the water. The country's surfing community currently relies on donated surfboards and a limited supply of second-hand boards that are shared around. Reshma Kaloteti recently spent three weeks in Australia learning the art of making surfboards with Peter Stockett of Peter Surfboards. The 21-year-old now plans to launch her own business making fibreglass boards and says it's a long way from where she started. Before we were using all the pieces of canoes that float over the water. And then there's two couples from Australia that came over and saw the pictures like, oh, it's good for surf. And then they get all this former board and then they start teaching us how to surf. And then this is when I start surfing in the former board when I was surfing. But yeah, the two couples from Australia, I've never seen them again. I have no contacts with them. I don't know where they're, because they're like traveling over and 
war on the world. And that was using broken pieces of canoe and, and, and washing boards, wooden washing boards. Yeah, the washing boards, which is like put your board on the water back to shore, but it's a bit different from the formal board. And then you can say things started to change from canoes to formal boards and then formal boards to fiberglass and all the different types of boards you name them. Years past, when my great-grandparents started, like they used the canoes, and even my dad and all those cousins and everyone, so now things change. So now all the people come and donate surfboards and put assets in and all the surfboards here, so yeah. So how old were you when you first surfed on a a, a proper surfboard? Eight years old. And, and so the majority of surfboards used in Vanuatu, as you say, are donated either from offshore or, or just... Yeah, you know, it's donated from... Some of them just came about uh, to Vanuatu for stuff and then they put surfboards here and then they went back and then said, if you go over printing second and like your old surfboard back to Vanuatu so they can give up to all the kids. So this is when we start like taking all the surfboards from, it's all taken on surfboards from what tools that came over and uh, put surfboards with all the kids in my village. Most of the surfboards that second hand boards say bring it over, we don't keep them, we give it out to all the kids around the village and maybe we can send some to the, all the AB islands, some of the islands that search, so yeah, we're looking forward to that. And so you obviously enjoy surfing and you've grown up uh, doing that. Um... And you start and you started competing in competitions. Uh, what do you think your biggest achievement is as a competitive surfer? When I start surfing, there's lots of girls, and then they stop coming surfing. So I'm just into surfing, and then till now, so big achievement for me in surfing is like coming off places where I saw the beaches and the magazines and everything. Coming off these places, uh, with surfing, surfing takes me to everywhere. Like. I went to Samoa, Fiji, Newcastle, Australia. This is like in Mexico, I saw the waves was like so good. So I was like, oh man, one day I have to go surf there. So yeah, surfing definitely bring me there for a surf and then come back. It's a big like big thing for me. <laughs> surfing yourself out on the water is one thing, but uh, the art of actually making a surfboard is, is something completely different. Um, how, how did you get into that? What made you want to learn how to actually make a surfboard? You've seen all the magazines and surfing, and you see all the shape makers with all the tufts over the face and how they're like five class and all those things. I was just reading story where I saw the picture. I was like, oh man, I wish one day I'd be like one of these guys shaping a board. And it was like, I was wishing for it. That was like my wish for a long time ago. When I start traveling and all the stuff, it's like, okay, I start traveling. So I've been to places I've dreamed of. So now my wish is I want to make a surfboard. So when it first came out, I was like, you're going to go to uh, Newcastle for shape of making. I was like, shape of sh- shape. And I was like, what, are you serious? I'm going. And then I was like, yeah, you're going to go learn how to shape a book for like three weeks and then come back home. And I was so happy for that. I was like, oh, yes, finally, my dream country. <laughs> and so now you want to put into practice what you learned in Newcastle and, and set up your yeah. own your own business here I- in the Pacific. Just to start off it, we're going to start with the 20 boards and I'm going to shape it and then I'm going to sell them and then this is where the business started to come in. So, yeah. We're still looking for a place to fill the house. Like, we're sitting down with, okay, we're going to fill the house for this desperate shaper. All my family's here. I was, like, so happy. They were really supportive of me with the shaping. 
they saw all the articles in the Facebook and everything, like, the news goes around this one uh, is like, okay, she's the first female shaper with her two hands shaping and stuff. Like so everyone's looking forward to see what's happening after. And I was like, okay, some of the stuff is just like, when are you starting taking orders? It's like, not yet soon, but I'm still interested with all the business and all the stuff making. So once you get the money to... Uh, buy the supplies for the 20 surfboards, then you can start shaping them and start selling them and, and everything will just keep hopefully flowing from there. Yep. If this gets up and running, this would become your full-time job? Uh, yes, it's going to be. <laughs> that's Vanuatu surfer Reshma Kalotiti. And that's the World in Sport for this week from RNZ International. I'm Vinnie Wiley, as always. Thanks for listening. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday wherever you get your podcasts and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.